You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Mile. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young from K-State Online and Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. Let's not make any bones about it here, people. Uh, this won't be the most fun episode we've already uh, we've ever done. And because of that, uh, you should probably start pouring your 360 vodka or your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon right now. Uh, it would have taken a lot to get through that game on Friday night. So that's why you got to go stock up. See our friends uh, from Holiday Distillery. If you are a vodka person, 360 Vodka, great choice. If you are of the bourbon persuasion, it is Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon. Make sure to go pick those up. Um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be more celebratory the rest of the year instead of trying to forget everything that just happened. But uh, unfortunately, that's that's what we ran into on Friday with K-State losing in Stillwater 29-21. to Um God, I will just tell you that my experience with this game was perhaps mercifully a little bit different than most people. I had tickets to a concert on Friday night that I really wanted to go to. So I saw the first quarter and then I saw the Will Howard like 70 yard run and then the pass to sit it. And then I was out. And from that point, it was like box score checking every once in a while during little breaks in the concert. And it was like, I think the next time I looked, it was 26 to seven. And then I looked at the end of the game and started going through the box score. And I was just like, oh my God. Um, now I have rewatched the game since then. I don't even know, Derek, you were there. Where, where do you want to start with this? I guess let, let's start with this. This to me is the jumping off point. I think that is the worst football game K-State has played since they lost 45 to nothing in Ames in 2020. It was pretty pitiful, uh, all the way around, particularly on offense. But even then, I mean, the defense going up against a pretty, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Oklahoma State did not look like any sort of world beater in that game. Like that that's the part. Oklahoma State still does not look like a very good team and uh you just let them roll over you. So take it away, Derek. Yeah, I think 21 Texas could be it too just because oh, of the how that I don't know. I think this is a lot worse than 21 Texas. Uh, 21 Texas got people fired, so I don't know. Uh, 21 Texas, 20 Iowa State both come to mind, but that it's one of the worst performances in the Chris Kleiman era and maybe the worst when considering the opponent because obviously this version of Oklahoma State is, is worse than that version of Iowa State, worse than that version of Texas, but both of those certainly come to mind. It felt like a little bit, I'll, I'll just kind of you know encapsulate the game. It felt like uh, they came out flat, uninspired. Um, comments afterwards would suggest maybe that was the case, that they took Oklahoma State too lightly because of what they saw in film. And then Oklahoma State obviously comes out a little bit more prepared, shows them a lot more looks because there is two weeks in between games. And obviously they play more inspired football because their backs are against the wall and their season, you know, can go one of two ways if they don't get that win. And and obviously they're a proud program with a with a head coach with an excellent pedigree that knows ball. So um that was probably inexcusable to have that kind of approach on the game. But Oklahoma State's not the type of team program or coached football team that's just going to lay down and and let you take it. And obviously, uh, some enough locker room, I guess, went into that game feeling that way. And that's pretty disappointing considering what we've heard about that locker room for, for some time. So I, I think that's a locker room loss there, at least to begin the game. Um, you finally settle in and you make some adjustments and you're able to mount somewhat of a comeback bid. But obviously, it's too little too late. Um, the offense played better in the second half, still wasn't good enough. But they did play better. Uh, what I would say is there, there's there been some criticisms about the defense, and, and I get it. They gave up a lot of yards, but still barely give up over five yards per play. So um, raw numbers at the end doesn't necessarily look problematic, especially since Oklahoma State's offensive numbers look pretty similar to Kansas State's, and we're pretty upset about the Kansas State offense. And, and defensively, everyone was really upset about the cushions and playing back and all that. And I get it. It's not a sexy way to win. But that obviously was a plan going into the game and certainly was probably one that worked and one that makes sense when you think about it, that the only way that Oklahoma State was going to win that game going away was with explosive plays. 
Kansas State's had a problem with explosive plays all year. Still gave up a few in this game even, probably way too many, especially on the ground. And Alan Bowman had a couple good dimes early. But that was probably a way to win because playing back and just being tight um, in the red zone ultimately is what kept Kansas State enough in the game to perhaps tie it at the end. You only give up one offensive touchdown. If you play a little bit more aggressively, you're probably giving up more touchdowns given what this defense has done throughout the season so far and what they're susceptible to, and plus being without both of its starting quarterbacks. That's what I was just going to say. Like Once Will, Will Lee went out of the game, too, and, and you already didn't have Jacob Parrish, like, dang, what are you going to do? What do you want him to do? Uh, yeah, getting, getting beat over – leaving yourself susceptible getting beat over the top probably makes you lose this game by three touchdowns. I guess I, I'm of the belief that you dare Alan Bowman to try and make tougher, more difficult throws and press up a little bit because he's a veteran guy that's going to easily convert little little slant routes like that. So I, I don't know. I, I I mean, the problem is also you play off like that and then you don't tackle. So you give up the pass, but there were multiple times where they just missed the tackle. I, I, don't, I don't have a ton of bones to pick with the defense. Like you said, D.Y., I mean, at the end of the day, they essentially allow what really is 19 points on 11 drives. I don't I don't give them an issue on that other field goal because K-State turned it over inside their own 25-yard line on down. So. I, I get daring Al Bowman to do it, but like that's the only way he was going to – that their offense could win the game. So they, they eliminated the only way that Oklahoma State's offense could win the game. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, though, if you told me that the defense would essentially give up 19 or 22 points, however you want to frame it, I would have said that K-State would win the game. Like, I, I probably would have taken that. I mean, heck, I think I predicted him to give up 17 in the, the pregame show, so that would have been right around that mark. I wouldn't have wouldn't have faulted them too much, especially when you factor in that they played without their best corner in Jacob Parrish for the entirety of the game and then lost Will Lee relatively early in that game. So I don't have a ton of bones to pick with the defense other than you got to get more pressure. I mean, it, it's frustrating that he drops back 35-plus times and you don't get a single sack, and I think they had one QB pressure in the game. So that that was the biggest disappointment for me on the defensive line. Otherwise, it, it's all about the offense for me, and, and we can get into that more, John, but I think it's just uh, – I, I do think it's probably the worst loss since the Iowa State game, uh, and a couple of the other worst losses are actually at Oklahoma State in the Chris Kleiman era where they just it just felt like another typical game in Stillwater in the climbing era where they have just struggled massively offensively for whatever reason. It did. It did. Except this time you weren't the last two times you've been playing like pretty good. Yeah. teams where you were like, okay, well this isn't going to go well this time. It was like, well, you're playing like total ass, but Oklahoma state is also not good enough to like completely run. I mean, if Oklahoma state, if they were put that effort out there against Oklahoma state in 2021, Oklahoma State would have won this game by probably twenty-eight. You know, I mean, they would have they would have ran and hid. Yeah, the the only thing I will say is is like, but the way Mike Gundy coaches games when he gets a lead probably doesn't do that, and I think that probably had something to do with this game still being tight at the end. He is very much of the old school mindset: you get a lead and then you kind of sit on it and just suffocate a team until there's no time left. Like he he's not like get a 14-point lead, I'm going to put my foot on the gas and win by 30. You just, at least not in the last two or three years. Well, again, I would, again, I would come back to not with this team that he has. You can't trust them. To, I mean, when he has Justin Blackman or Des Bryant, and uh, yeah. I mean, that sort of outfit that they had going for a while is a lot different. But not even in 19 and 21. and 21, he almost won, went to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, to get back to your point, D.Y., on the mindset, that that bothers me. I mean, you could tell they came out flat in that game. The first series offensively, you already had a feel that this was not going to be very pretty. And then they let them go right down the field on 15 plays uh, defensively and get down 7 to nothing, and they just looked flat. And for as many veteran guys as there are in that locker room and the leadership and talking about wanting to be the first school to win back-to-back or the first program in K-State history to win back-to-back league championships to go into a game against a big 12 opponent on the road with that type of mindset potentially that that is a problem and that cannot happen and chris Kleiman said on the post game show on radio with wyatt and stan that you know we knew we were going to get mike gundy and oklahoma state's best shot like we tried to tell the guys that and sure didn't look ready to play still coming off a bye and that, that's bothersome it's to me it, it's 
the shoe being on the other foot and this team not having the experience or wherewithal to completely understand it. And the example that I will use is in the, obviously Kansas State doesn't play Oklahoma this year, but in the four prior meetings, Kansas State has won three times under Chris Kleiman in, in four. I think I have that right. Yeah. Um, and it's not because Kansas State was a better team than Oklahoma in those four years. It was because Oklahoma doesn't take Kansas State as seriously as they should, and Kansas State is the one that completely gets up for that game because Oklahoma has a target on their back every year, and that's a game that Kansas State would just love to have because of what it means to their program. Kansas State, the players don't understand, especially when you go on the road, after just winning a Big 12 championship, and also because you beat Oklahoma State last year 48-0, to and they'll probably go through it again when they play Baylor this year because they smacked Baylor 31-3 to last year. And even Missouri, because you beat them 40-12 to last year. You're the defending conference champions. You just drummed all these teams last year. And you, especially when you go on the road, you're the team that everyone wants to beat. So you, you can't even just play C-level football and skate by like you could on some weeks. You're going to have to play a B game, and you probably could have got away with less because Oklahoma State did uh, fall apart near the end. But like Oklahoma State, Missouri, all these teams, Baylor later, Texas Tech this week, these teams aren't playing the typical level of football against you that they would in the past. They're playing up here because you're the team that they want to beat. Yeah, I mean, I, I would actually equate it to like, I mean, look at Notre Dame. So like, it felt like Notre Dame ran out of gas on Saturday from playing like a third straight game against somebody that's just getting up for them big time. I mean, Ohio State, Notre Dame was a huge game. Then they go to Duke. I mean, that's you're, you're definitely getting Duke's best shot with game day there. And then you come to play Louisville where they're jacked up and ready, you know, getting a shot at Notre Dame. It was a huge deal for them. Now, that's a program that's used to it because it happens all the time. K-State is not as, as used to being in that position. But yeah, I mean, it's just horrendously disappointing. I mean, you'd like to think that you've got a coaching staff that knows how to deal with that. Chris Kleiman was at North Dakota State. How, how do you think it went every single week when they rolled into town somewhere? I mean, that's that's what they did. They had to deal with being the the hunted all the time. Um, you know, we feel pretty good, I think, about the coaching staff that they have and everybody that's been around for a while and been around the block and knows how hard it took to get there. And even the player, you know, I mean, like, let's, let's talk about, like, the players making mistakes here. Like, Hayden Gillum has been around for 100 years, and he's snapping the ball 30 yards backwards when Will Howard's coming up to make a check on a fourth down play in the red zone. And Phillip Brooks is running terrible routes and not blocking somebody one-on-one -on -one for, for Will Howard on a play that's schemed up that should be a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like, the, Phillip Brooks has been around for 100 years. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, you, you got guys that have been around. That entire offensive line came back, and we made a huge deal about it in the offseason. Like, do we have... We have leadership from the offensive line. I mean, I, I don't. It's there, to me, there's just there's not much excuse for it. There, there's not much excuse for it at all. I mean, you can say like it's a unique position and something that you have to get used to and whatever, but like there should be enough there to not have that happen because that that was it was lethargic. It was flat. It was slow. I mean, just like everybody looked slow. I didn't see a shred of emotion from anybody not named Kobe Savage. I, like I will shout him out. He always. Seems to bring some energy, and I do appreciate that from him because I saw some of that from him during the game. But, I mean, where the hell was it from, like, anybody else? I mean, they're paying they're paying this massive retainer for a motivational coach, for God's sakes, to to basically be on the staff and travel with them. Like, what? where is that getting them? Like, what is what is happening with that? So, I just, I don't I don't understand how it happens. I, I yeah, And for the record, I wasn't using it as an excuse. I was, and I know you probably didn't mean it that way, but it, it's the fact that, that's not something that should happen, and that should be a point that's has the ability to get across. And I will say that this, you were right. Like I'll, a lot of these guys were there in North Dakota State, or a chunk of these guys were there in North Dakota State, where this was a an every week thing. So I fail to get the impression that they didn't harp on this. Um, it was something that was mentioned to us regularly in the off season, even at big 12 media day by Chris Kleiman. Um, I think it was a takeaway. It was a number one point that he made a lot and still has made a lot. But at the end of the day, like you can t talk and tell these kids and we're dealing with that. 
till they're blue in the face. Like this is what it's like. And unless they fully understand it and embrace it, it doesn't mean a thing. So it's like the locker room, the locker room, the locker room has to take that. Yeah, I, I, I will just to, to put a cap on that, I suppose, before we take a break here. Uh, contrast that with Oklahoma State absolutely coached and played that game like their season and perhaps jobs depended on it. That that absolutely was evident too. You know, I mean, you can see it right away. Gundy was rolling with some trick plays. They have the fake punt, which I mean, you guys know. Don't even don't even don't even get me started on special teams once again. It is a complete dumpster fire to where they're just waving the white flag and fair catching kicks at the end of the game and you fall for a fake punt on like fourth and one from midfield just but the Gundy came out swinging like they were they were ready to go they they clearly had a sense of urgency that was that was just not there from from K-State at all uh okay well um I'm wearing my home field gear (laughs) so I I've got my sweet K-State shirt on we might be uh, upset, but I am comfy in my uh, my Copper Bowl game stage. Right, D.Y. is repping Miami because the, the Canes had such a proud weekend as well, um, which you can also get at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, get, get, you know, Mario Cristobal. He can use uh, the code 3MAW23 to get 15% off his first order. Cole's turning his camera down. He's got, is that, is that because you got home field too, Cole? Is that what's happening there? It's a, yeah, it's a home field hoodie that actually just arrived last week and it is super soft. Like it, it feels, uh, it feels wonderful on these crisp fall mornings. So really comfortable fit. So yep. Rocking the home field. Okay. Homefieldapparel.com. People get all your K-State gear. They've had a couple new drops here in the last six months. So tons of K-State gear, uh, all great looking stuff. We love it. We wear it all the time. So be like us and you can get 15% off with the code 3MA23 if it is your first order. We appreciate the support of Home Field Apparel. We'll continue to dissect this game coming up next. Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Ben Heisler, host of Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And I've been so fortunate to have PXG uh, as our sponsor here at KCSN, sponsor of Benny and the Bets. Uh, I think what I've really enjoyed about this partnership is that they have really had an opportunity to dive into Kansas City. And so it's nice to be able to refer people who are fans of KCSN to folks that care about the community, that care about making a presence here in Kansas City. Uh, But also they make ridiculous golf clubs as well. Had the fantastic uh, experience getting fit here with Alex Oren. She is the queen of fittings over at PXG, uh, was the first female fitter in the company's history. She's right here in Kansas City. Uh, did a fitting for about two hours and just had an absolute blast. Uh, really got comfortable with every single club in my bag. And they're going to be able to do that for you guys as well. The best part is $25 fittings right now in the month of October. So make sure you guys come on over. It's a PXG store. They are located here in Overland Park, 119th and Blue Valley Parkway. When you come in, make sure you say hi to Alex, say hi to Jake, say hi to Marcus. The whole crew is going to take such good care of you. Check out, they got brand new fall apparel as well. Some great discounts on all the summer stuff as well. Uh, They've been a great partner for us here at KCSN. We hope that you guys support them and check out everything that they're doing as well. Been such a great opportunity. Love the folks at PXG. We know you guys will too. Everything for your bag. Nobody makes clubs the way we do, period. That's PXG and PXG.com. So I guess to me, the pivot from this opening conversation about the effort and attitude and all that that was happening in the game is how much of it is a a one-off? Like this was a terrible effort by everybody involved. By the way, we haven't even brought up the fact that this was off a of bye week. <laughs> okay. I realize Oklahoma State had a bye week as well, but doubly disappointing to have this sort of an effort when you had two weeks to gear up and think about it. And it seems like the only productive, well, the only significant thing that happened during the bye week was getting a couple guys hurt. Um, is this indicative of like problems that are going to be there the rest of the year? Is this a one-off sort of thing? Like how, how are we feeling about this? Because I'm not going to lie. Like my immediate thought after watching it and taking everything in was kind of like, this is one, this is a game that just sort of, rocks you to the core and thinking about like what what is this season like what are the expectations for the rest of the year and like what problems are there in the program uh to me it was that bad looking at it now i don't want to be too overreactionary, and so that's why i raised the question here and i've perhaps calmed down a little bit and 
in a couple of days and thinking about it, but it, I don't know. That was a lot of concerns and questions that we've had seem to be really, really amplified in that game. And now I just wonder like, what, where do you go from here? That's, that's kind of the, the question. For me, I would say that the, the lack, and I hope I'm right on this. I would say that this was probably the wake up call for like the lack of passion, heart, um, necessary focus to zero in on in an opponent, right? I, I wouldn't think that that comes up again because that's the easiest thing to erase and you just got to lock in and, and take everyone seriously because you can get beat on any Saturday in this league. And, and you, can, you need we, to win. Is it though, or is it this team read too much about how awesome they were during the offseason and didn't put in enough work then and that's just going to be a, an issue you know, year? I think it was more of a week-to-week thing. I think someone hinted at it when we spoke afterwards after the game, the post-game media session. I think it was like, you know, we looked at the tape and thought, you know, this will be okay. So I I, I could be wrong. Well, that's why I said I hope I am right on this, but I don't see that as being necessarily an issue that will repeat itself. I think this can be the wake-up front with the wake the wake up call on that front. However, I do think some of the like issues with the offense are a little bit more things that aren't going to disappear. Like do you got a guy that can just go make a play when you need it the most? Is your passing game have, you know, long term problems probably? I mean you're sitting there playing Oklahoma State, who isn't the best defense in the world, especially against the passport. They just gave up 350 yards to Rocco Beck, um, you know, in the game before. And you have your receivers with two catches for four yards at the end of the third quarter or near the end of the third quarter. So I think some of the, the football stuff is going to be a work in progress at best. But in terms of off the field, lock in, see your opponent, and take it seriously and have enough or passion and intensity throughout a game, I would hope and I think that that is likely a one-off. What I will say is I do also think that this is not – I don't know how much better this gets overnight either because I do look at the anatomy of a schedule a little bit. I always have, and that's why I said, look, Missouri, that's that's a problematic spot for Kansas State. I think we all agreed with that one. Um, Just because of how it's set up for Oklahoma State, I think we all said, you know, we're not going to – have their way with Oklahoma State because their backs are against the wall, and that's a proud program with a proud coach um, that knows ball and has bye week to kind of get things right in a way. And now you're doing the same thing because Texas Tech finally is getting right and feeling good about themselves to where they can, you know, squint and look at their schedule and how it has unfolded in the beginning of Big 12 play where they just defeated Houston and Baylor. And now they say, you know, the goals that we had before the season, despite our rocky start, are still there. But, I mean, they control their own destiny at this point it's a night game blacking out they sound out that game so now you're you're getting probably you got the best version of missouri possible i mean maybe not for the full 60 minutes but you got a hot oklahoma state at the beginning that was their best version possible probably in the first half and now you're probably getting the same thing with texas tech because of how things unfolded so and i'm not saying oh kids stay woe is me unlucky but it's like you better get your craft together because you're getting the same kind of situation on saturday when you go to love yeah, Tech has played six straight quarters of really dominant football. They they farted around a little bit in the first half against Houston, but they crushed them in the second half, and they crushed Baylor from the word go on Saturday. So, anyway, sorry, Cole. Smallest average margin of defeat, according to Tom Farnelli, of teams with a minimum of three losses. Texas Tech's got the second smallest margin of defeat on the season at 5.6 points per game. I mean, they've been competitive in every game. You look at the Wyoming loss that they had doesn't look bad now at all. I mean, well, what did no, Wyoming do to- for three quarters and beat Fresno? So yeah, they just they beat a ranked Fresno team in Laramie this last weekend, and then they should have had they they could have easily had Oregon beat. I mean, they were up on Oregon with what six minutes left in the game, and Oregon looks like one of the best teams in college football this year. It, it's going to be an incredibly difficult spot, tough place to play. No, they're down their starting quarterback, but you know, Baron Morton is a top 150 national recruit. He has some pedigree and some talent to him as their backup quarterback. So it's going to be a major test. We're going to learn a lot about where this team and this season is headed. 
based off what we see in Lubbock and the type of effort and inspired performance that I think we all hope that we'll see. You know, look, there, there's plenty of reasons to be negative about the Kansas State offense and what we saw against Oklahoma State. I guess I'll try to paint a, a glass half full, half full picture here early on, and we can dive in and maybe sort more of the offensive difficulties as we go here. But you know, what I will say is Chris Kleiman and this coaching staff have had kind of these bizarre, unexpected losses multiple times, and they've bounced back from them over the last several years. I mean, you look at 2019. They lose that game to West Virginia. That's a West Virginia team in Manhattan that uh, I don't believe they made a bowl. They weren't a good team. And uh, Kansas State came back from that. They won at Texas Tech, and then they beat Iowa State um, when K-State was actually underdogs in Manhattan to, to win their last regular two, two regular season games after that. Obviously, Oklahoma State's not as good as Tulane was last year, but you know it's still it was kind of a flat unexpected loss in your home stadium where we were saying a lot of the same issues about the offense. And again, you don't expect this to occur with as many guys that are back and you're starting quarterback to have these offensive type issues. So I'm not necessarily excusing it, but I am saying that they have shown in the past that they can bounce back from performances like these. There's always, there's, there's been a couple of these WTF type losses before, and they've figured out a way to navigate around it. Can this team do it? a different team you can't just rely on the past to believe in the future that things are going to change necessarily but I also think and I said this on the pregame show guys and look I'm not saying Oklahoma State is a good team but I think that there was probably an overreaction to the South Alabama game um, a bit I don't think they're as bad as they looked in that game and we did talk about I know you guys kind of mocked it when I said well they, they lost 34 to 27 in Ames against Iowa State the week prior before the bye week and uh, look, Iowa State it looks average. Like they, they look at least respectable. They killed TCU on on Saturday, and I'm not saying we know TCU is not very good this year either, as it looks. But I think that maybe there's just been a little bit of an overreaction from the results we've seen from Oklahoma State. They might be a little bit better than we thought. I don't think they're a good football team, but uh, they're they're probably better than what we expected. I just think with all these Big Twelve teams, it, because their floors are pretty low and and obviously that includes kansas state at this point it's like if they don't bring it they're, they're all vulnerable they aren't just about every game like iowa state like the, they could if they don't show up they're going to get if, if they went to stillwater and didn't show up they, they'd lose by 20 right so it's just like none of these teams are good enough to not lock in and be ready and expect to win yeah no, I'd agree with that. I mean, the the league is just very much, very much in a place where anybody on any given week could completely lay an egg or could rise up and and totally surprise you. It's it's been a wild year so far this year. I would know? say, and I would say, and I'd, I'd I'd have to probably dig into this. And maybe I'm being silly. Maybe it's kind of the prisoner of the moment the last two weeks, but like even more than past seasons, it seems like it's hard to go on the road right now. Because a lot of teams are having that problem. Now, the only one that I can really think of, like, obvious is when West Virginia went to TCU and won. Yeah. Well, I guess I would say, and I would make this statement, I would amend it uh, to say outside of Oklahoma, Texas, and I think you can put Kansas in that category too. I think Kansas is above the fray uh, as, as far as this group that we're talking about that is not good enough. And maybe it's just that Kansas is – more well coached and and not putting out those sorts of efforts yet, but I haven't really seen that from Kansas at all yet well, this year. It's I don't that, think it them in there. They had that effort against Nevada by far. Okay, so yeah, they, fair enough. Okay, yeah, the Nevada game was bad. We're, we're, we're just as susceptible as anyone else. I mean, they they I, my, they love it. My point, I, I think Kansas is well coached enough that they they seem less susceptible to doing that. That would be my take. I, I would disagree because if you're doing that against Nevada and where you almost lose to the worst team in in, in all in the all FBS, then you're just as susceptible as everyone else. And look, I know Texas is really, really special, even though they just lost to Oklahoma, who I thought was solid and not special. Kansas lost that game by twenty six and could have lost by fifty. So like Kansas is not I don't think above the fray. I would say. They weren't I don't think any of that was an effort issue though. I mean they played a hell of a game for three quarters to stay in it so but they get a yeah. great effort to texas i don't know I mean, it, it, that debate for i don't mean to sidetrack it with that debate but but it will be uh, i'm looking forward to watching 
um, Oklahoma State, KU, and Stillwater on Saturday because I want to see how, you know, look, Oklahoma State, KU kind of gets a, a wake-up call at the hands of K-State and what they put on the field, and I think Lance Leipold would have had him ready to play anyways down in Stillwater. But the betting line for that game was, was KU by three, three and a half. So basically Vegas is saying on a neutral field, those two teams are pretty much even. And so, um, actually, no, I'm wrong on that. They're saying KU would actually be close to six point six point favorites on a yeah on a neutral field. I'm sorry. Um, I think KU is better than Oklahoma State clearly, but I, I am interested to watch that game and seeing if Oklahoma State plays inspired football again back to back weeks and how KU matches up in that because KU certainly dominated UCF and um, UCF looks like a team that's just now going to kind of roll over and quit on the year. Yeah. To defend UCF in that one, and I'm not trying to take anything, you know, obviously, but uh, they uh, obviously planned all week with a different quarterback, too. That was, they kind of got hit with the uh, KU at Texas situation there, where it's like, you know, four snaps into the game, John Rice Plumley can't go, and their whole managing of that first couple drives of the quarterback, like, they, they had dug themselves a multi-score hole by that point. So, yeah, I mean, point taken, but, I mean, KU kick their ass I don't yeah. don't mistake any of that don't mistake any of that right he, he is deservedly where they are but yeah I would just say that I don't think that they're completely above the fray you can even say they fell asleep in the second half against Illinois so then Illinois is terrible Illinois Illinois woof 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 yeah not good at all uh okay Let's uh, let's take a break. Come back. We we have not really like dissected the offense, which I think a lot of people are going to want to hear us talk about that. They're going to want to hear us talk about the quarterback and not playing Avery Johnson uh, on Saturday. So I promise, I promise, 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 we will get into that coming up next. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, all right, let me ask you this, Derek. Power rank the problems within the offense because it feels to me like the social media, like fan reaction right now has Will Howard, like number one, easy. And I would disagree with that. I'm not saying that he has played great football by any stretch of the imagination, but it feels like he's taken a, a lot of crap, which it's what happens when you're the quarterback, but a lot of crap for just systemic issues. And it's it's much different playing quarterback with what's going on everywhere else on offense right now than it was with Malik Knowles, Kate Warner, Deuce Vaughn, and uh, and a probably better functioning offensive line uh, from last year. Yeah, it's it's hard to power rank them because I think they all affect one another, and I think I really do think it's just like a a bunch of things going wrong. And part of it is Will Howard, you know, either if it's not making a quick enough decision, not a terribly accurate ball, um, especially vertically. Um, a bad read, miscommunication, um, just not on the same page. Now, I'll say this, especially since two of the three interceptions were a culprit, were had the same culprit, is that like this QB wide receiver stuff has got to get better before, but sooner rather than later. Um, I I think yeah, I won't power rank necessarily people or, or position groups here. What I will say is like I do think the top issue for me would be that 
these quarterbacks and receive the Will Howard and his receivers do not seem to be cohesive at all right now. I, I mean, their lack of chemistry and making the same read on a look is very problematic and has been an issue going on for almost the entire season at this point. So I would say that probably needs cleaned up more than anything. And what I mean by that is you got the receiver seeing the coverage and running a certain route in response to that and Will Howard throwing a different route in response to that. Now, without us being football savants and seeing the All-22 film or being in a, in a meeting, we don't know who made the correct read and who did not. So that's why it's hard to place fault because we're not in those coaches' meetings. We're not – we don't know the exact rules and principles of what to do versus certain coverage. Heck, we probably don't even know what the coverage was, right? So I can't get into a deep understanding of that. What I do know is that they're they're not making the same read. And when you don't make the same read, you throw one ball, the receiver runs a different way, and you get picked off. I think that happened twice. Uh, while Howard was running a back shoulder throw and Phil Brooks went upfield. Now, wasn't a great route to begin with. So even if Phil Brooks runs the route the way that Will Howard expected him to, it's probably still not going to have a great result because he wasn't going to get open. And it's probably not a ball that Will Howard should even throw because I don't think the, the back shoulder throw was going to be there regardless. And then on the first interception, you had a receiver running down the field and, and Will Howard expected him to come back. And so he throws the ball, expecting to come back. He doesn't. The safety's there. Now, again, they're not on the same page. But even if they were, I don't know if that's a ball Will Howard should be throwing anyways because the safety was sitting there pretty uh, comfortably knowing the ball was going to be thrown right to him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, uh, well, those are, the, the, I think, the most clearing issues. And now you can pick apart the offensive line, not, not, the, not the best protection throughout the night. And I think they lost the line of scrimmage, but – um, and DJ Giddens had a slow start on the ground. But at the end of the day, I mean, DJ Giddens did start to get going, so maybe you should have ran through to set up the pass and, and maybe playing that out a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, Will Howard is not playing good football, but he's not getting any help from his receivers. And that lack of chemistry, um, that the offense is going to continue to be problematic until that lack of chemistry is shored up. So you got you got receivers and the quarterback not aligned on making the right read. You also have receivers running the wrong routes, which we know. I mean, they're there's they're actually running the wrong routes at times, and so yeah. uh, look, Will 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 tell you like he can't make that throw. Like the the interception downfield with the safety over the top, you know, the triple coverage throw in the season opening game where he's hit, but he's trying to throw it into triple coverage. Like he's he's made reads that we didn't see from him last year. I mean, Will had 15 touchdowns to two interceptions in six Big 12 games last year, and since the Alabama game, he's thrown nine interceptions in six games. So he'll tell you he's making far too many mistakes. Somebody as cerebral and smart, intelligent as he is and experienced as he is, you know, he's not going to excuse it. He's going to take the blame as well. And you would like to see a significant amount of that cleaned up. Um, Look, I I take issue with the way these receivers are running routes. I think they're not crisp. I think they're not sharp with the way they run routes. I think they're lazy at times. That bothers me. You know, there's some guys that need to be playing a little bit more consistently and giving a little bit more effort. At that position, they got to be a little tougher at the wide receiver position as well. And then they need to be more explosive, obviously. I went back, guys, and checked on all of the 30, 40, 50-yard plays last year that Kansas State had. They had 25 plays of 30 or more yards. So far this year, they have nine plays of 30 or more. So they're not that far off the pace. But where the problem is, is last year's team had 18 plays over 40 yards. This year's team has two plays over 40 yards. Uh, they're just not generating that explosiveness. And a lot of it is really at the wide receiver position, guys. So over the last three games, Missouri, UCF, and Oklahoma State, wide receiver position, not counting Ben Sennett or the running backs, the longest pass completed to a wide receiver against Missouri, Jaden Jackson for 21 yards, Oklahoma State, Phillip Brooks for 25 yards, UCF, Seth Porter for 16 yards. Like they're, they're not getting any verticality from the wide receivers like there there's it, it's been basically Ben Sennett or uh, Jaden Jackson one time I mean it's been Ben Sennett and Treshawn Ward in the passing game that have three of your five passes for over 30 yards it's like where where's the the explosiveness for this Kansas State offense they just have not been able to keep defenses honest with the the threat of any 
verticality. And that was such a big part last year. I mean, they had eight plays of 60 or more yards last year. They don't have a single, they don't have a single play of 60 or more yards this year. The, they, and, and like we continue to say this, but it's like more than just one issue too, because the, I mean, you have a probably one that's 40 yards or more. If Will Howard connects with Jaden Jackson for the touchdown, when he had two steps on a corner against UCF too. And I believe that was the South end zone on the Southwest corner. So it's it's a multitude of the problem is it's not like one issue like yeah. it's like one culprit every time there seems to be a different culprit which probably is more conducive to what we're saying here it's you know a lack of cohesion a lack of chemistry and, and, and I get people are going to say Malik Knowles you're missing that verticality at the wide receiver position and, and that might be the case especially with this big play ability. But let's not sleep on, you know, because the more we're talking through this, this just came into my mind when listening to Cole. Like, especially with the, maybe sometimes what appears to be a lack of toughness, whether that be the physicality at the line of scrimmage or just, you know, willing to go out there and just grind. And Kate Warner, baby. And then the effort thing. As Kate Warner, they talked all last year about how he was probably the best leader that anyone came around. And I think if, if he saw some of this on his watch, if he's in that locker room, he's probably ripping someone's ass in that wide receiver I imagine. And I, and I don't think you could get away with it. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that they, they can get away with it. And it's easy for a coach to rip someone's ass and, you know, whatever and what have you. But it means more when it comes from one of your players. Now, I think Seth Porter probably has that gene too, but it's harder to do that when you're doing it from the bench. When you have a starter and a really big-time top contributor that's willing to rip someone's ass and, and get all over them, whether it be Cave Warner or be Deuce Vaughn, I think that means something. I think they're lacking that. I mean, you have that maybe a bull hour. Maybe you have that in the offensive linemen that aren't performing well. You, someone's got to be up there leading from a front, ripping. Like, you, just, there's things that you can't let go if you're a player, like behaviorally or performance-related on the field that isn't um, – should never happen. Um, and someone – I mean, that starts, like, in the – and like. I don't know. I think they're missing that Cade Warner thing. I, I got an idea, D.Y. Let's let's bring Cade Warner back as a GA. Like, now. Immediately. Bring him in. Because th they need a guy like, hey, he's not on an NFL roster now, I don't believe. So, let's get Cade Warner. I mean, he's he's a smart, intelligent guy, and he's a heck of a leader. And uh, yeah, I think they're lacking leadership in the wide receiver room. Because your most experienced wide receiver in the program is running probably the laziest routes. Yeah, I, I, dude, I, I could not agree. I don't think I've come around more from like what my expectation level was for a player coming into the program to like now how much I appreciate him uh, than Cade Warner in a long time. Like he's, you know, at, at Nebraska, it just seemed like kind of, uh, you know, okay, here's, here's a typical K State receiver is not going to be athletic enough to, he was athletic enough to make some huge plays. He was incredibly reliable. He's a guy that was going to be on the same page with Will Howard. And yes, all of the leadership capabilities, which is probably the best attribute that he had. So yeah, I think you're a thousand percent missing a lot of that. And you guys have helped really underscore my point here. Like, I I do not, again, Will Howard is not playing good football. And yes, when you have all these problems with the offense, particularly explosiveness being a huge issue, and you've got just a freaking bundle of explosiveness sitting on the bench um, in Avery Johnson, a quarterback. Like I understand some of the frustration people had about not at least giving him a shot. Like not, you know, the weird thing to me about the Avery piece of it is that he got snaps against Missouri. Like they worked it into the offense against Missouri. And that was a huge road spot, a uh, really tough in environment. And now we're here at Oklahoma State, you didn't use him against UCF, which I understand because the game went well and the offense was just rolling. But now we're here two games later and you're there's just no piece of him in the offense and there's you're not going to try that to get a little, some kind of a spark, something. I mean, the offense just, especially in the first half, just desperately needed a spark, like something to get something going. And that to me is a waste when you, when you have him on the bench and you're not even going to try that. I'm not sitting here calling for Avery Johnson as the starting quarterback, even like the full, like given multiple series in that game. But I, you can't, you can't roll him out there with a package. You can't try something with him on Saturday. That, that was very, that was very curious to me. Yeah. I think I have three things, three thoughts there, and we'll see if I can remember them all. One being that 
the explosiveness idea. I think if if you're feeling like you need to be more explosive, then you should probably play the guy that can provide more explosives. Not now. I'm not saying also. I'm not saying like time to start Avery Johnson. Not not doing that because I do think you have to earn it with your performance. So, but you can't earn it with your performance until you get some tastes and that he probably should have. I thought so. That then that goes to my second point being. Like, I understand, like, having some reservations about playing a true freshman in that moment. I do. I get it. But your reservations would have to do with him turning the ball over because of his inexperience and going through growing pains and kind of experiencing those lumps. And you can't protect him from that forever because going through those things is how someone grows, right? So, and if you're... Offense is going to turn the ball over three times anyway. I don't know what you're protecting. I guess. Is no, what I point, like they're they're doing a great job of turning the ball over anyway. So you might as well do it with some more explosive. Yeah. When my my third and final thought, and I waited to do this one because I, I kind of thought about this and spoke about this. I think yesterday or two days ago, and, and it's not necessarily me being critical of the coaches more than me being kind of confused of the the logic because I'm sure it's fine in, in the grand scheme of things. But something that perplexes me a little bit is how game-dependent their, their plans and approaches are sometimes holistically, and and that's for offense and defense. And, and I get that there might be things that we do not know, whether it be injury-related or not, that never sees the light of day, and I get that. So some, I guess I'm, I'm just searching for explanations. But sometimes, like their personnel choices, uh, from week to week, are just like lack so much continuity that I wonder if it plays a little bit with players. Um, and that's not me being critical of the situation. Me just wondering aloud what that impact is, because as you said, like there's a plan for Avery Johnson against Missouri, so he's played two of the first three games, but then zero after that when there seems to be an opportunity to incorporate that once again. And then even defensively um, and offensively, like, you know, other other things that come to mind that I'm struggling to come up with the words for right now, like Garrett Oakley, like him being such an integral part against UCF and then barely seeing the field. I think he had like two snaps in the first half against Oklahoma State. Now maybe an injury popped up again that we don't know about. Well, he, he hit a drop. He hit a yeah. drop too. I don't know. They just benched him because right, but that was but that was later in the second quarter, and I think that was one of his first snaps. So it was surprising in general. He didn't play the first quarter. He never got on the field. And then, then, and then another thing, like defensively, like Daniel Cobbs hasn't played a snap all year. I don't believe he didn't even make the trip against Missouri, and maybe he was injured, and now he's healthy and they're playing him. But then he's out there in man coverage, you know, in the second half. Um, I just wonder if their plans sometimes are just so radical that it that it alters their personnel so much that it lacks enough continuity for someone to get comfortable and in a rhythm. Well, yeah, to what you guys just talked about, they're willing to put Avery Johnson on the field in Columbia and the team's first road game against the best defense that they faced this year. Like they're comfortable enough to do that, but then they're not comfortable enough to do it against weaker opponents like a UCF which you didn't necessarily need to do it against UCF. The offense yeah, was fine. Yeah. But but against Oklahoma State, you know, we're talking about a team with the worst pass efficiency defense in the league, um, not a great defense by any means, and you're not playing well and need some explosive plays. And look, they couldn't stop Will Howard in the QB run game. I mean, he ran for over 100 yards on 10 carries. Think think what Avery Johnson might have been able to do against, uh, against the way that they were defending the QB run. I also think Treshawn Ward, only getting 16 snaps when he looked more explosive than DJ in this game. I mean, I don't know if you guys thought the same, but I'm watching Treshawn Ward. He's got a little pop to him. He looked fresher than he had in a while, and uh, DJ just made me look a half step slower. I don't know. Maybe it was just the way you know the scheme and the holes were when he was in the game, but I thought Ward looked more explosive. Well, he has nine touches for 59 yards. Uh, he's averaging you know, a significant yards per touch, and He's, he's only on the field for 16 snaps. DJ's on the field for 58, according to Pro Football Focus. So, 
I don't know. Yeah, there, there's some questionable things. Daniel Cobbs, you mentioned at DY, like third and eight in the fourth quarter of a big play, and he's he's in single-man coverage on Brennan Presley. And it's the first time I've seen Cobbs play this year, and he's on their best receiver in their program. So I don't know. Some some kind of bizarre things that unfolded. Um, the coaching staff had a, a very poor game as well. I mean, you, John, you talked about the, the fake punt earlier, like – I think every K-State fan in America was thinking, okay, watch for the fake here. Leave your defense on the field. They're near midfield. They'd already ran three trick plays in the first quarter of that game. Leave your defense on the field and be ready for that, and you're not ready for it. So that uh, things like that were frustrating, and then I felt like Chris Kleiman kind of – I'll be curious for your thoughts on this, D.Y. I felt like Chris Kleiman panicked, like kind of like the Alabama game, Sugar Bowl, where – he just started chasing things and doesn't kick the field goal on a fourth and eight when it felt it felt like fourth and eight the way they were playing was going to be so difficult to get goes for the fourth and three on his own 25 I mean the play was there just threw it too hard but it's just like it felt like they were kind of chasing and panicking at different points of the flow of the game fourth and three I think at that point of the game I can get behind that that's a gettable one and you're going in you you don't, you're looking to see how many drives are left. I get that one. Fourth and eight, that, that's a field goal. Yeah. And and also, I just, I hate to keep harping on it. How, 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 in that moment, is the ball getting snapped 30 yards backwards when Will Howard's coming up to make a check? When you've got the whole point of the advantage of this offensive line thing was this experience, and you've got a guy that's been in the program forever. How? I just I struggle with that. That of all the plays from that game that make me very upset, that is high on the list. Yeah, high on the list. yeah it, it was very frustrating. Dy, you you had a better view than we did. This was a big play in the game. They, uh, called, they called Cooper BB an eligible downfield, or maybe you thought I was going somewhere else with it. But they called the offsetting foul. It was second and four at the ten, and. They committed P.I. near the end zone in case they went out first and goal at the one on that drive. They called Cooper an eligible downfield. ESPN never showed us a replay, and it it would surprise me. If the play happened pretty quick. It would also surprise me with a guy like Cooper that he was downfield. Did you see that? Because that's the that ended up being offsetting in case they ended up in a fourth and eight instead of first and goal at the one, and they get no points out of the drive. I didn't see it. Um, I don't know if you guys sort of remember this, uh, Oklahoma state and you're in the press box. You're basically right at that one end zone by the locker oh, room, yeah. huge big screen. So that I'm literally a hundred yards away from that. Yeah, no, you're, you're right though. That was, that was a big play. That was a big play. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people will want us to talk about going for two. Um, I liked it. I'm I'm honestly fine with it. I understand the logic behind it. I'll probably leave Derek to uh, fully yep. flesh that one out. But even then, I mean, this is back to our conversation about the receivers. I mean, I actually kind of, I like the play that they dialed up there, and it works. But you got to catch the ball. The play worked. You got to catch the ball. RJ Garcia dropped the ball. Um, Keegan Johnson threw it where it needed to be. I did. To be, I didn't love the play. I think it's a very congested area to run a trick play of, of that has a lot of those moving parts. Um, I, it's not as simple as a halfback option pass. Not that I'm suggesting they run that. I didn't love the call. It certainly worked. It should have been. A, they should have got it. And I know there's a lot of fans, and I, and I get that because they've just been accustomed to a certain way of, of football. But that's the right call to make in that situation, in my opinion, because even with Kansas State struggling as much as they are from an offensive standpoint, and I get that, I get that. Like, you can expect your team, and the statistics bear this out, to get those two yards at least one of two times. So if you get it the first time, you can kick an extra point to win. And like Chris Kleiman said, they almost lost that way against Texas Tech because Texas Tech almost did it to them. So uh, I, I didn't hate the decision. I didn't love the play call. Uh, here's a look I, I'm split on it there's there's a part of me that's like all right kind of read the room the way your offense is playing game flow like probably just kick the extra point and keep the momentum going because Oklahoma State had just relinquished a 26 to 7 lead that would have been 20 
29 to 22 and there would have been some game pressure on there still was i mean an eight point game there's game pressure where but but what i will also say is i didn't hear fans complaining when they went for two on the previous drive to cut it to 26 to 15 because it worked you know so they were in that position to go for two on that second time or kick the extra point to make it a seven point game because they went for two earlier and will howard got in the end zone for that for the two point conversion and it was successful so and if it would have worked, everyone would be like, well, you just you cut two more points into the lead between the two two-point conversions um, that they converted and talking about 29-23 game, and you had two opportunities then as it unfolded to win the game if you would have converted that two-point conversion. RJ Garcia's got to catch the ball. I would also say, D.Y., you run a double reverse pass like that, I, I would hope there would be a guy more open uh, when we're running a trick play like that. But to your point, that's a tight space to run something. Yeah, because even if you get fooled there, it's not like you're because you're using one half of the field too. Yeah, like I, I would like to see us run a trick play like that. They could go for like sixty yards, you know, pop a big play, not necessarily to get two yards. The way that Will Howard was running, the, yeah, the way Will Howard was running the football in that game, like I maybe you just run a QB run read type play because that's what they yeah. did earlier and it worked. But yet, but, but and I agree. But then that's a that's a thing too there that if it doesn't work, then you're pissed that they didn't throw it, I think. So, I I mean, I would be, I think, in that scenario. Yeah. Either way, I get, like, to reemphasize the point, Derek, because I think people, like, don't fully get the analytics piece of that. It's, it's playing the odds that if you're going to go for two twice, there's a statistically very good chance that you're going to get one of them. And if you and get the first one. So if you get the first one, then all you have to do is line up and kick an extra point to win the game. For the second one that is and, the idea behind it and like it's and i know it's kind of like when people started going for fourth down all the time that it's hard for people to wrap their mind around completely but like it's done that way by just about every nfl coach at this point too and you do it that way so like if you get to the end of the game and it's 29 28 right there's 30 seconds left in the game and you're like hey i want to go for two and just try to win this thing right here well you do it earlier in the game so you know what you need to get down the road, right? You don't wait. If you're going to do it at the end of the game, you, you should actually do it earlier because then you know that you're, you know, okay, we're, we're down eight. We, we, uh, we're going to need to move quicker here. Uh, so I don't know. It's also the argument like when you're down nine or 10, like you go for two earlier in the game. So you know what points output you need. Um, so I, I'm not like, I'm not going to get all that upset. There were much bigger issues at play. Plus it should have worked. Yeah, I I just if people want Chris Kleiman to be aggressive on fourth down and use the analytics there, then they can't criticize him for using the analytics on the two point conversion stuff. Yeah, no, that that's really where I'm at. Like I've always been, I think especially early on Chris Kleiman, like night two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty, Chris Kleiman was not very aggressive or on the cutting edge of like any of these things at all. I'm with you, Cole. I think there were some things like game flow wise that he he still doesn't have a great feel for it's not his strength as a coach but i appreciate that he's at least trying and i appreciate that he was willing to do that in that spot because i that is that is the way that the game is going like if you're on the cutting edge of analytics like that is what it would say to do so i i appreciate that he is willing to do that at least. And, it, and it might be a thing too like can this might support what he did more where you probably do that you're more likely or should more likely do that on the road I think. Yeah. Yeah. Go for, yeah. go for the win. Right. They just always say go for the win on the road when you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you guys do at the quarterback position moving forward if Will struggles early at Texas Tech? I see that's, there's so many things that come go into that where it becomes difficult to manage. And it's like, whew, I mean, I, I don't, envy them if that is the case but you have to have this is one of those fork in the road games now that we stand it's what texas tech had when they played houston it's what um ucf just had when they played kansas like some of these big 12 teams it's what oklahoma state just had against kansas state like a lot of these teams are already already having those fork in the road games oklahoma state sold out won the game um texas tech blast houston and then you know, the following beats Baylor. Like, these fork in the road games are coming up a lot earlier. Kansas State is in that same situation. And because the Big 12 championship is the goal, like, 
you can't allow yourself if this game starts to unfold like it did against Oklahoma State, not to try something different. I agree. I was just about to say, I would hope it's relatively short because, like the the se- the season's on the line. I mean, yeah, like make no mistake about it, the season's on the line. Now, I could a part of the reason why the Oklahoma State game is just so vomit inducing is because to me, it's like a, a lot of the steam has already been taken out of the season anyway. Um, I mean, it's going to be re- you've got Texas still on the schedule in Austin, so I mean the odds of getting to the Big 12 championship game significantly, significantly decreased. You also just laid a complete egg on national TV. Like, it kills me that the last two times people have legitimately been watching this team were Alabama and this, where they have not been great performances. And I think, like, that brings up bigger picture issues. It's not really fair that it's that way for schools like K-State and the Big 12. I mean, generally, I would say, like, anybody in the new Big 12 is going to get this kind of treatment where – if you don't perform well when people are actually watching when the spotlight's on, like it is just so much easier for anybody to write you off, even when you are playing good football and putting something nice together. K-State has not taken advantage of that at all. Um, Big 12 championship game was great, so I'm I'm not going to just totally, but so far in this spot this year and then in the bowl game, it's I think it's done a lot of damage. So I, I hate that element of it, and that's what, to me, just took a lot of steam out of the season for me, where it's like, I, you're, you're going to be there. I don't know. Outside of beating Texas, I don't know what K State can do the rest of the year on this schedule to earn any level of like semi national respect because people just watch that on a Friday and it looked bad. It looked really bad. This th- this is the the hope eliminator game. If Texas Tech loses, it's their fourth loss of the season already. Kansas State loses their one and two in a big Big Twelve, and and that's coming from a place where they thought they were the you know at worst the third best team in a Big 12 with a chance to to make a return trip to Arlington and, and compete for a Big 12 championship game. So this is the hope eliminated game in my mind for both teams. Um and Texas Tech has the benefit of probably going into it feeling much better about themselves for the way they they smacked Houston, smacked Baylor. You get it at home, you're playing in front of a sellout crowd and you feel like you're starting to probably play to the level that where you expected going into the season, even though, you know, those losses to Wyoming and Oregon don't necessarily feel that bad and, and West Virginia's respectable enough. Uh so and that's where I'm at. And, and of course Texas Tech is just as hungry because they know Kansas State was the Big 12 champions last year. They haven't beaten Kansas State freaking forever either. So everybody in that locker room wants to finally beat Kansas State mm-hmm. as well. So that that's going to permeate there throughout just as much as anything. And so, yeah, this is a fork in the road game for Kansas State. You could still say at this point, because of how their season has unfolded, Texas Tech's probably every game's a fork in the road game for them. Yeah, what I will say is, so circling back to my question on Will, uh, I just want to say that, you know, I, I I think we all hope that Will finds success in this game because I, I, I hate that Will's going through this right now and struggling and the criticism because we all love Will and he's a great dude and, and just hope that he can get it on track. What I will say about this game is, I think, John, it might have been you and me. I know I had K-State losing to Tech in the preseason. We had him beating Oklahoma State. And D.Y., I think you had him winning, right? No, I had him losing to Tech. Oh, you had him losing. Okay. All right. So so think of it this way. You beat Tech like you're kind of where you thought you'd be at this point in the season, right? Two and one in the league because you thought the loss would have occurred in Lubbock, but then you get the win in Lubbock. That kind of wipes out the Oklahoma State loss in a way uh, at least the way I was looking ahead to the season, I thought they'd be two and one through a big t- three Big Twelve games. So I don't know. Like I-, I think you can feel a lot better about the season if you beat Texas Tech because then you come home and you got TCU in Houston, and then you're talking about a four and one start in league play. I think that can comp- this this game is huge for both teams, and I just hope we see a really really inspired effort from K State, an angry inspired effort where they execute well and come out with a win in Lubbock. It'd be huge, and I think K-State opened as like one-and-a-half-point underdog, so it's basically a pick-em type game. I I don't know. We'll this see. Is, this is a spot where I think both teams are going to play well. So you, because they put themselves in this position, and Texas Tech is where they are, like Kansas State is capable of playing a good game and losing this this Saturday. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and I would amend... Cole, just a little bit to what you said. I mean, I, I agree. I think you, that's some pretty good perspective on it. Again, the pouty me is like, well, you just, it's, I, I hate doing that on national TV and what happened and losing that game that way. But I think you're right in terms of like general perspective on the season. 
I also would just be careful about saying, then you get to come home for TCU in Houston and that'll be two wins, bang, bang, because I mean, we've seen this team roll out pretty poor effort against Oklahoma State. I still think they would be capable of losing one of those two games, despite how bad Houston and TCU look. But you are correct. Capable of losing them, less likely just for it being at home. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think we've set the table pretty well. It's going to be a huge, huge game on Saturday. We'll uh, we'll be back to talk more about it uh, later on this week, so make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you get your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon or your 360 vodka from our friends at Holiday Distillery. Make sure you get stocked up on your home field apparel gear, homefieldapparel.com, 3MOD23, that promo code for 15% off your first order. We appreciate the work of Nick Springer behind the scenes for Derek Young and Cole Manbeck. I am John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to 3 Mont. Take care, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.